Confidence is one of those things that it's good to have a bit of, isn't it? Confidence. Being confident will help you in all sorts of areas of life. I think generally we are attracted to people who are confident. Um, If you're getting your car repaired and you take it to a mechanic and he's confident, well, it kind of eases your concerns. If he's a bit hesitant, he doesn't know what he's doing, you might be a bit worried. Maybe you're buying a new sewing machine or um, whatever it might be, and uh, statistics tell us you're more likely to buy it from a confident salesperson. Sport. Confidence is important. And yet as important as confidence is, we don't like overconfidence, do we? Uh, We don't like people who are overconfident. We might even call it arrogant. So confident that they're not willing to listen to anyone else. In fact, for Aussies anyway, overconfidence is almost worse than underconfidence. I wonder how in your life generally how confident you would say you are. As we turn to today's Bible passage... It has a lot to say about confidence, but it's not about confidence in general, just how confident we are about life and relating to people. This passage is talking about confidence in a specific area of life. It's talking about confidence in talking to people about Jesus. Confidence in the good news, the gospel about Jesus. I want you to just turn to the person next to you and Rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 about how confident you reckon you are when it comes to talking to people about Jesus. Maybe you're a 1, you know, really nervous and not confident. Maybe you're a 10, super confident, just bolster in there. doesn't matter. It's just a little exercise I want you to do. Um, if you're shy, you don't have to. But just talk to the person next to you. If you're, if you're underconfident, someone got the joke. And um, talk about your confidence in speaking about Jesus. Have a chat. Rate yourself 1 to 10 and why. Just take a minute to do that. Ow. Okay, Al reckons he gives himself a six. Who, who put higher than six? Oh, a couple, yeah. Who put lower than like um, three? Yeah, most people. All over the shop, I reckon. Yeah, I don't know what I'd give myself. <laughs> that was just to make you feel good when you said six, Al. <clears throat> In today's passage, Paul is talking about his confidence in sharing the gospel with people in his ministry. Now, over the last two weeks, we've we've seen that Paul has been under attack a lot. So he has quite potentially a lot of reasons to lack confidence. Remember last week, he was defending his actions with um, the Corinthian church. He was defending his motives as to why he did or didn't visit them. Well, now Paul turns to his confidence in his ministry. And in this chapter, we see why Paul is actually confident about his ministry. And we find that Paul's confidence as an apostle, it doesn't come from his abilities. Paul's confidence doesn't come from his 
personality, you know, whether someone's a confident person or not naturally. Paul's confidence doesn't even come from his ability to explain the message about Jesus. In fact, what we find is his confidence doesn't come from himself at all. His confidence comes from something outside of himself. His confidence comes from the ministry that he's involved with. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 of chapter 3. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. So Paul is confident. But verse 5, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And what happens in these next 12 verses or so is Paul paints one of the most spectacular, impressive pictures of gospel ministry, of talking about Jesus that I think is in the Bible. He wants to hold up and display what he calls the glory of his ministry. And he does this to explain why he's confident. And he does it against the backdrop of the Corinthian church. Remember, it sounds like there's new wannabe leaders in the Corinthian church. They've got impressive resumes. They've Sounds like they've got nice letters from other churches saying how good they are. What about the Apostle Paul? Where's his credentials? Where's his pile of letters from other churches saying, showing what a good minister he is? What Bible college did he train, out, train at? What conventions has he spoken at? What letters does he have after his name? How many theological decrees does he have? Where's his confidence come from? And Paul says, forget all that. All that doesn't matter. I'm not playing that game. That's not where my confidence comes from. My confidence comes from the the ministry that I do among you. I share Jesus with you, and just the results of my ministry is enough to bring confidence. Have a look at verse 1. That's what he's talking about there. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, read into that some people, these fellows down in Corinth, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Paul's now starting to talk about his ministry among the Corinthians. Now ministry, don't be scared off by that big word, it just means serving, a waiter in a restaurant, doing work that serves someone. In the Bible, there's two great ministries there's the old testament ministry the way that people served god in the old testament you know moses and the law and the ten commandments all that kind of stuff was all about letters and rules and what you did and how good you were but then with the coming of jesus things changed of course didn't they and we've now got a new way of serving god it's actually about being changed by god on the inside And what Paul does is he compares these two great ministries of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, to show us how good serving Jesus is. Now, before we read this section, I think it's good to remind ourselves of how spectacular the Old Testament ministry was, because we can sometimes think, you know, new's good, old's boring. Not at all. In the book of Exodus, uh, the, the, the Old Testament ministry was very spectacular. You might remember Israel is slaves for 400 years in Egypt. 
God raises up a man called Moses who starts off very unconfident. Remember, he doesn't want to do it. And through Moses, God sends the ten plagues on the nation of Egypt, the frogs, locusts, boils, darkness, very spectacular, very impressive. And after the last plague, which is the Passover, Pharaoh had had enough. He'd seen enough of God's power, and he says to the Israelites, go, get out of here, Moses, I never want to see your face again. And so Moses leads the entire nation of Israel out of Egypt and, you know, through the Red Sea on dry land. And Red Sea, we're not just talking about Macquarie River drying up, we're talking more like Sydney Harbour. When the, when the Red Sea closes over, the entire army of Pharaoh is drowned. And that huge rescue, you might remember, reaches its climax on Mount Sinai when God comes down, he speaks with Moses, he gives Moses the Ten Commandments and there's lightning and there's thunder, and there's a cloud. And these are the laws that Israel will, Israel will have to obey to serve God. Okay, This is Moses' ministry. And when Moses comes down from the mountain, and that's what Paul alludes to here when he talks about the veil over Moses' face, Moses' face is glowing because he's, he's seen God's glory, God in the cloud. I'm not sure whether glowing means it's like sunburnt, uh, red glowing, or whether it's like a glow stick just actually literally glowing exodus 34 says his skin was shining Uh, this is spectacular stuff the red sea mount sinai moses glowing face the ten commandments i mean if you were there you'd be impressed this is the kind of stuff they make movies out of now paul says as spectacular as that was if you could have been there and seen it spectacular glorious stuff paul says the new ministry that jesus brings is better and the reason for that is good as the old testament was it didn't actually save people it brought death but jesus ministry brings life look at verse three now if the ministry that brought death the old testament one which was engraved in letters on stone came with glory so that the israelites could not look steadily at the face of moses because of its glory fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious in the Old Testament has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory, the greater glory of the New Testament. See, the first reason that the ministry that Paul is involved with, that we're involved with, to do with Jesus, is better, more glorious, is that it actually changes people. The problem with the law was it couldn't actually change people. I mean, you read the Ten Commandments, um, and you can read them and read them and read them, but who actually obeys them all? No one. Don't steal, don't lie, don't want what another person has, don't covet your neighbor's possessions, obey your parents. Who actually does that? And no matter how many times you read it, it doesn't help you actually obey it anymore. You read the list and it actually just shows you what you're doing wrong. That's what the law does. It condemns us. It brings death. But the new ministry of telling people about Jesus, it brings life. Because it actually brings forgiveness for what we've done wrong 
the chance to be made right with God. Look at verse 9. It says there that the new ministry brings righteousness. And that's not all. The glory of the old covenant, great as it was, was limited really to Moses, wasn't it? I mean, Moses got to see God on the mountain and he had the shining face, but poor old Israelites, they didn't get to meet with God. They could just look at the face of Moses and see it glowing. Uh, And even then, only when his veil was off. But in the new way of God dealing with us, we all have access to God, every one of us, through Jesus, through his spirit. Look at verse 18. That's where Paul ends up here. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, in the old covenant, only Moses got to reflect God's glory, but in the new one, we all do, as God changes us by his Spirit and makes us like Jesus. See, the comparison, good as the old ministry was, and it was spectacular, the new one we have through Jesus is so much better. It actually changes people, brings people eternal life. It's powerful. And that's what separates Christianity following Jesus from every other religion, isn't it? Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Islam, Judaism, even Buddhism to some extent, they're all to do with following laws or self-perfection or what you have to do to improve yourself or be right with God. It's all about what we do. Now, that's what the Ten Commandments were about, and they didn't work. If even the Ten Commandments given by God himself couldn't do it, well, no laws that we make up are going to be able to do it. And that's what makes the ministry of Jesus so wonderful. It can bring life. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. He died so sinners could be forgiven. And then he's poured out his spirit on everyone who believes in him so that his spirit might change them. Now let's just take a step back a bit. What's the point of all this? Well, Paul started off talking about his confidence, didn't he? His confidence not coming from anything that he does. His confidence is in what God does in us. And that's all through this passage. Verse 4 Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God, not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence comes from God. And then verse 12, since we have such a hope of Jesus changing us, we're very bold. Or chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. See, the reason for Paul's confidence is because of the gospel ministry. His confidence doesn't come from himself. It comes from Jesus and what he's done. Let me give you an example. Just say you're a bad cook. Some of you might not have to pretend for that. Some of you can pretend for a moment. Let's just say you can't boil an egg to save your life. You you can't boil rice. But you're having someone very important over for dinner, someone who you want to impress. Now, you would have every reason to lack confidence in getting them a good meal. It's probably going to be a disaster. It's going to be embarrassing because uh, whatever you do, it's not going to work. If you were a good cook, well, you could be confident in having a good meal. Your confidence 
would depend on your ability to cook. Bad cook, no confidence. Good cook, confidence. But what if you decided to take them to a restaurant for dinner? Well, then you could be confident if it was a good restaurant of getting a good meal and it wouldn't depend on your ability to cook at all. If you go in a restaurant, it doesn't matter whether you're a good cook or a bad cook, it won't affect the meal at all. Now, that's what Paul says it's like when we're telling people about Jesus. It's not like cooking for them where your abilities matter, where whether you're good at talking about Jesus or bad at it, that's what's going to change the outcome. It's more like taking them to a restaurant. It doesn't matter what your abilities are. When you tell people that there's a God and he cares for them and he sent his son into the world to die, it doesn't matter how well or how badly you do it. It doesn't matter if you bumble along and stutter and you miss bits out and you wake up the next day and think, I should have said that, and they've got to stop and ask you questions because it's not making sense. Because it's not about how well you can explain it. That's not what will change someone. It's actually the gospel message itself that changes people. If you just open up the Bible and get them to read it, that's what changes people. I mean, if it was up to us, if we could somehow talk people into being a Christian, then our abilities would matter. But it's not up to us. God is the one doing the work. God's the one who saves people. Now, that's why the Apostle Paul can be confident. Even though people in Corinth are saying that Paul doesn't speak well and he's not a trained speaker, his confidence is in the gospel. That's encouraging, isn't it? Because what do you do with people when you just try to talk to them about Jesus and they don't want to hear about it and you feel like giving up and and nothing's going to work? Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Here's why some people don't get it. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. For we don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That that passage there is saying that when someone hears about Jesus and it doesn't make sense to them, that they don't want to become a Christian, it's not about your ability to explain it. It's not even about their ability to understand it. It's a spiritual issue. They are blinded by the God of this age, the devil, No matter how many times they hear the gospel, they won't understand it. They can't understand it unless God switches the lights on. 
No amount of clever arguing, no amount of explaining, no kind of technique you can learn to make someone become a Christian. So it's no use going for kind of clever sales techniques or tricks to share the gospel. You know, we constantly have this phone company ringing us and they, they say, could I speak to the um, whatever it is of the house? And I say, yes. And they say, congratulations, sir, you've won a free mobile phone. All you have to do is give us your details and we'll give you the phone. But it's all a trick because I got sucked into it the first time and they want to sign you up on a $30 plan. So the second time they rang and they said I'd won the free phone, I said, fantastic, let me give you my address, just jot it down, post it straight to me. And they said, oh, no, 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 sir, we need to know more than that. I said, have I won a free phone? They said, yes, just send it to me. No, that's not how it works, sir. I said, it's not free, is it? See, that's a trick. That's trying to talk you into getting something that, that doesn't, is not really as good as it sounds. We don't need to trick people with Jesus. Jesus doesn't need selling. That's not our role. We're just meant to set forth the truth plainly. See, don't dress it up. This is the facts. So maybe you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. If that's you, great that you're here. I hope you see that our aim is not to trick you into becoming a Christian. Our aim is not to kind of change the Bible around and leave out bits that we don't think you want to hear and try and make it all contemporary and, and so that we'll kind of, you'll want to be a Christian. Our aim is not to put on some big music show to swing your emotions to want to follow Jesus. It's not to manipulate you with clever arguments like you wake up the next morning and you became a Christian last night and you think, what on earth did I do last night? Our aim, the second half of verse 2, set forth the truth plainly. Just to simply explain that God loves you, that he sent his son into this world so that you can be forgiven. And if you believe in him, you can have eternal life. And we need to just do that as simply as we can. And God will do his work in you. It's God who will convict you of that being true. It's God's work. Maybe you're here this morning and a bit different to that. Maybe you're just not feeling very confident about the gospel. Now, if you're not confident about it, why not? Why aren't you confident about it? It changed your life, didn't it? Didn't someone bumbling along share the gospel with you and it actually changed your life? So can't it change someone else's life or are you somehow better than them? Or maybe you're here this morning and it, maybe it hasn't changed your life. Maybe you've heard it, you've understood it, but it's still all a bit fuzzy. It's a bit like the veil is still there. You see these people around you, they're excited about Jesus, but you know that really, if you're honest, you're not. Maybe you need to turn to the Lord and ask him to save you. Ask him to take away the veil. Let you see Jesus for who he really is. Or maybe you're here this morning and you do believe the gospel. You really do. But you still lack confidence. Now, I know you're not the Apostle Paul. We're not the Apostle Paul traveling around Greece and Asia. But we do have exactly the same good news that Paul had. The message hasn't changed at all in 2,000 years. There's been no new revelations. We have every reason to be just as confident 
as Paul was because he was confident in the message. I mean, if it was up to you to save people, if it was up to your skills and abilities, well, you might have reason to lack confidence. But it's not. Because, look, even if Moses, with his great glorious ministry, couldn't save people, honestly, if Moses couldn't do it, what hope do you have? None. So thankfully it's not up to you. It's the gospel. It's God who does the work. I mean, when you first heard the gospel, was it really that the person who explained it to you was just that clever? It was just such a spectacular explanation of Jesus that you just had to believe them? Is that what it was about? I mean, I can't even remember the person who first told me. That's how unspectacular it was. I can't remember who explained it to me. It wasn't actually about them. It, it, was, it was about Jesus. And I was gradually convicted of the good news of God and his love for sinners. Now, you may be different, I don't know. But the bottom line is, it's the gospel that changes people, not us. All we have to do is set forth the truth plainly. So as you head out of here this morning, as you bump into people at um, work tomorrow or down at Macca's or wherever it might be, have a go. Ask your friends if they've ever read the Bible. Offer to sit down and read it with them and be confident. If you've got no skills, well, that's great. You won't get in the way, will you? Just get them to open the Bible and read it and ask them what they think. Ask people what they think about Jesus. Okay? It doesn't matter if you started out, well, 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 what do you think about Jesus? It doesn't matter how confident you ask the question. Have a go at explaining to someone why you're a Christian. Give it a go. Have some confidence in the gospel, the gospel that changed you. Let's pray. Father, we are really thankful that it doesn't depend on us to be saved, but it depends on what Jesus has done on the cross. Because if it was up to us, well, none of us would make it. So thank you that he died in our place. Thank you that through Jesus we can be washed clean and have a fresh start, clean slate, be forgiven and be your people. And Father, we thank you for whoever it was in our life who plucked up the courage, despite their own lack of confidence, to share the gospel with us. Thank you for those people, our Sunday school teachers, our parents, friends, whoever it was that told us about Jesus. And Father, we pray that we might have the same confidence to talk to our friends and family and the people that we work with. Father, when we lack confidence, please remind us that it's not actually about us. It's about Jesus. So help us to be confident to talk about him to whoever you might bring before us to do that with. And we pray this so that um, more people might find out about Jesus and that through the gospel you might change them. You might shine the light, remove the veil, bring them to see who Jesus is. Amen.